is our time of corporate worship where we come together to praise the Lord and to look into His Word. Some of the the most profound worship is uh, when we, God's people, dig into His Word. And it is my responsibility to bring that Word to you. Um, we read the Word and we, we uh, unpack the Word. And then we apply the Word to our life. And the response should be worship within our hearts. A worship that doesn't just last uh, Sunday and Sunday afternoon, but it lasts throughout the week as we apply God's Word to our lives. If you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 22. After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea. And there He was spending time with them and baptizing John also, this is John the Baptist, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent ahead of him. He, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears his voice rejoices, or hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from above is above all, or comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received him testifies of this uh, or testify or is his testimony has been set has this seal set on him, or has his seal set on this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For he, who gives, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today. We want to praise your name. We want to give you honor and glory and attribute worth to you. We want to recognize that you are God. And You are to be praised. You are to be exalted. 
Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be together today and to read your word today and then to comprehend your word. I pray that you would bless our time in your word. May we, may we understand this passage. May we um, glean from this passage what you would have us to see. And the, the meaning of the text, what, what John is communicating. Lord, so that it can impact our lives. So that we would change our thinking. So that we would go out different people and live different lives. Lord, we just thank you for the many, many blessings. Lord, we know we are sinful people. We know that even this week, Lord, we, we have sinned and fallen short. We have done things that are against your principles. Lord, I, I just pray that you would forgive us our sins. As we confess those sins, we, we come before you. And Lord, we stand before you, forgiven people because of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. I do pray that you would bless this time. May you be honored and glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story told of two brothers. Um, They were very close. They always had been. Uh, As they got older, even, they they remained close. They lived in the same city. And both of them became pastors. Different parishes, different churches. And... um, The demons were around talking, discussing, and thinking, how can we divide these brothers? What can we say? What can we do to cause these brothers to be uh, separated, to to break down the love that these brothers have for one another? And Satan happened along, and he heard the conversation, and he said, oh, I, I know. And he goes down, and the demons see that he whispers in the ear of one of the brothers... And, um, and he comes back, and of course the demons are, are curious. What, what is he doing? What did he say? And, and uh, Satan said, well, what's well, easy, guys? He said, I just whispered in the ear of one of the brothers that his other brother, the brother, had a hundred people more in his service than he did on Sunday. Now, this story can be told about the businessman, the two Christian brothers who were businessmen, or the two Christian brothers who were, who were workers. It can be said the same thing. Well, he makes, a, he makes more than you do. He has a better position than you do. He gets three weeks of vacation. You see the pattern? Well, what was happening... The brothers then, after this, there's pride that welled up in the brother's heart and and there was conflict and there was tension then between the relationships of the two brothers. It was pride. Pride that was able to get and make a wedge in between that relationship of those two brothers. And that's the way pride works. There's a passage in Mark chapter 7 that, that talks about Pride and puts pride in its place. In John chapter 7, verse 20, let me just read this passage to you just to remind you of this. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the mouth, and this is Christ, that which proceeds out of the man, I'm sorry, out of the man, that which is, that is which, what defiles the man for whom, or from 
for from without of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murder, adulterers, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, and pride. Pride comes from within the heart. And he goes on to say all these things, or, or all this evil things, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. It's that pride that was within man that causes him to act out that pride and to do things out of that pride. And that's what we see today. We see that man is just eat, eaten up with pride, with the sin of pride. Solomon calls it a haughty look, a haughty look or a proud heart. And Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, pride is going to abound in the last days. And today, that's exactly what we see. It's an epidemic proportion. Pride, selfishness, self-centeredness. And because of pride, because of sin in man's heart, because of pride, uh, the sin of pride, God is no longer the center, is He? We become the center. We are so self-focused. We serve, instead of serving God, we serve ourselves. Instead of loving God and others, we love ourselves. We are just eaten up with pride. We brag about our accomplishments. We brag about um, the good that we have done instead of thanking God for those things. We wait to be served and to be loved as opposed to aggressively loving and serving others. We, we are quick to judge others and we are quick to give criticism to others, but slow to receive criticism from others because of our pride. We plan our day around us and not around God. And we begin to manipulate people and we begin to do things with wrong motives because of, because of pride. Because life becomes about us and not about God, and not about others. And then pride then leads to other things. It leads to bitterness, and it leads to fear in people's lives. It's a preoccupation of self, pride is. And then, in fact, ultimately, there becomes no other place for, self, for others except to serve me. And even in our humility, so often our humility is eaten up with pride as well, and we like the attention that our humility brings and the empathy and the self-pity, and, and uh, that draws just as much attention to ourselves as our pride does. We are eaten up with pride. Pride must be dealt with in the heart. That's where it originates. And it's seen in the look. It's seen in the way we dress ourselves, it's seen in the way we talk to one another, it's seen in the way in our actions and the things that we do toward other people. This passage addresses pride. It addresses pride and it demonstrates humility. Now I want you to see the setting. Look at verse 22. After these things, now this is after Jesus had had his conversation with Nicodemus, after Jesus was in Jerusalem for a while, and, and cleansed the temple there, had his conversation with Nicodemus, and then he left Jerusalem after these things, after the Passover and those things that followed. His disciples 
he and his disciple, Jesus and his disciple, came into the land of Judea. That would have been Samaria, the, just outside of Jerusalem. And there he was spending time with them. Now, he was probably teaching them. Because as a result of their teaching, they were being baptized. He was teaching and baptizing. Now, what would happen in that day is that Jesus would be focused on his disciples and he would be discipling them and teaching them, but there would be other people, people on the peripheral that would come and listen in. And Jesus is teaching. Well, what does this man have to say? What is he teaching his disciples? And they would see if they want to agree with him. And they would come and they would listen to his teaching and they would say, yes, you know what, I believe that. And they would identify with Jesus' group and he would, they would be baptized. There was, um, there was ministry going on there. But now notice in verse 23, John also was baptizing in Anon near Selim because there was much water there. So you have two ministries in the same area. John the Baptist was there and he was also baptizing. There's a lot of water there. People were coming, listening to John's messages, and they were identifying with John. John would baptize them, and they would identify with him and his ministry. And the people were coming and were being baptized. Seems good. There's two ministries. That's great. That's great. And in verse 24, for John was not yet thrown into prison. Now, John, the author who is writing this gospel here, he wants to put this in time frame. He wants us to understand this because this is important to what he is trying to communicate to us about believing. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't say a whole lot about Jesus' ministry by the time from the beginning of his ministry to the time that John the Baptist was put into prison. And so there's one little episode, there's one little event, there's one thing that John says you need to know, you need to understand about that time frame, what happened during that time frame. And the center of the focus is John the Baptist and his ministry. Now, you've got the setting. Look at verse 25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. So you have these two ministries. And there was a discussion happening. Now, let me, let me go back and, and mention one other thing. This, these two ministries, they were overlapping. They overlapped for maybe two or three months. Okay? Pretty short time. But it was a changing of the guard. And you need to understand this was a changing of the guard from the Old Testament prophets, which John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophets, to Jesus, to Christ, to the Messiah. It was a, it was a change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It was a change from the Old Testament teachings, teachings about the law, to Old Testament teachings about grace, two different dispensations, if you will. And there was an Old Testament covenant and a New Testament covenant, or the New Covenant. And the New Covenant was consummated in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The New Testament was consummated in there. Now, we've talked about this New Covenant and the Old Covenant before. The Old Covenant was one of, uh, of, of law and obedience to the law. 
And it, and it proved that man cannot keep the law to the point that he can be saved. It just cannot be done. And Israel proved that. And God said in the Old Testament prophets, he says, someday I'm going to come down and I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. And that's going to be the new covenant, the new birth. And I'm going to cleanse you. And you're going to serve me with a heart that wants and desires to serve. And... Um, That's the New Testament covenant, or the new covenant. And the church gets to enjoy that, if you'll remember our conversation from a couple of weeks ago. The church gets to enjoy that, but someday Jesus is going to offer that and give that to Israel. Now, there arose then, so what you have is two overlapping ministries. And what happened during that time, there was a problem that arose In verse 25, therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew. Now, this could have been a Jew that maybe had listened to Jesus' ministry, but there, there arose an issue about purification. Now, that seemed to be the minor issue because it gave rise to a larger, a much larger issue. And this would have been purification, ceremonial purification, uh, the uh, ceremonial from the law. What's the, what's the point of this law now? And things are beginning to be questioned. And, and that's true. John, what's going on? What about this? So they bring this to John and they understand the bigger issue Verse 26, it really comes down to about the relevance of John's ministry. John, what relevance do we have here? Verse 26, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi. Now notice there was still a lot of respect. That's the formal word for teacher. It was Rabbi, he who uh, was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you you have testified... Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now you can hear the frustration and the angst in the disciples' voice. Now, not every single person, obviously, was going to John, but, boy, it sure seemed like it. And there was a problem. Our ministry is becoming kind of irrelevant here. And there's a there's an issue. And this was on a public scale. Everybody could see this. The numbers were dwindling. Things were happening here. What's going on, John? This was humiliation, frankly. And there's a lot of issues. It was their success as a ministry. What's going on, John? Or the success of our ministry is, is declining. Their reputation would... Had kind of dwindled. Uh, uh, their influence was not there that they once had, maybe. Now, they're still baptizing. They're still bringing some in. But they're not as popular. Their, their individual merit was, was being taken away. But also their purpose. And they begin to analyze, what are we doing here? What is our purpose, John? I mean, he's, everybody's going over to him now. Now, I want you to notice John's response in verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John's response is rooted in and based in a sound theology. He just gives them theology. Guys, God's in control. And I'm not. And God allows his ministry to grow and ours to diminish. That's the way it is. He is in control. It's from God. Ministry is from God. 
God blesses and he, he decreases ministry as, as well. Now that's a humble response. I don't know that Carl Dingus would have responded in that way. Look at, look at another response. Um, John chapter 12. Look at the response of the Pharisees. Jesus' ministry continued to expand. And uh, it, it got so big that the ministry of the Pharisees were threatened. And so let's look at their response. In verse chapter 12, verse 18 in the book of John. For this reason also the people went and met him, that is Christ, because they heard that he, he had performed these signs, these miracles. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good, or you are, are doing no good, literally, or any good. You're not doing any good. And, and they begin to argue among themselves. Look, this isn't working. You're not doing your job. You're not accomplishing what you're supposed to do. And it goes on to say, the world has gone after him. You can hear the pride in there. Their response, the response is, uh, is one of pride. Uh-oh, what's, what's going on? Now, John's disciples are saying, John, how do we view this? What do we do with this situation? And John's um, humble response was rooted in humility. And it was in a, a, an accurate theological framework. And that's what I want you to see And he says, guys, check your theology. Check your theology. Look at verse 28. For you yourselves are my, you yourselves are my witnesses back in, I'm sorry, John chapter 3, verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ. You've said this. I've said this over and over and over that I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. Now, that's a realistic view of himself. John just maintained that view of himself. Even though there's lots of people, you know what? I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one. He is the one. And he maintained that proper view of himself. That's humble. That's humility. That's a picture of humility. Now, there's a, then he goes on to illustrate what he's talking about in verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because he hears, uh, because the bridegroom's voice. Now what's going on here? He gives it a little illustration. And the illustration is of a wedding when the bride and the groom come together and uh, come in celebration of this, of this union, of this wedding. And the bride in this situation would have been the people, right? You understand that? It's the people. That would have been Israel. And then the bride... Groom would have, of course, been Christ. And the friend of the bride would have been John the Baptist. Now, sometimes in this day, uh, the best man, or we, what we would call today the best man, um, the, this would have been the friend of the groom. He would have been sent to the bride's house. And maybe to usher the bride to another place, or to wait with her until the bridegroom would come and uh, and collect his bride. So that... So we get the picture here. John is saying, I'm not the bridegroom. That's Christ. Um, I'm just a friend of the bride. And I'm going to escort the bride to the bridegroom. And I'm going to point to the bridegroom. 
I'm going to point to the groom. And his job was to take Israel to Christ and say, that's the one. That's the one that you've been waiting on. That's the Messiah. That was John's That was John's job. That was his purpose. And he understood that clearly. He was just an escort. And, and it gave him great joy. So this joy is mine. This joy of mine has been made full. He says, I've completed my task, guys. It's, I, I can see it. It's starting to come to an end. We hear the bridegroom's voice. The kingdom is, is getting ready to come. Christ is coming for his bride. And the two are going to be union together, come together. And uh, he was excited. It, was, it brought him great joy. And he summarizes his statement in verse 30. He must increase and I must decrease. I've got to fade out of the picture, guys. And that was the final word of the situation. That's just it. I've got to decrease. He's got to increase. He is the Messiah. I am not. And that's uh, that's the way it is. Now, you would think that he would stop right there. But again, he gives a little bit more information But what he does is he explains his theology. He explains his thinking behind uh, his humble response. And this is his mindset. And he wants his disciples to have this mindset. This is theology from a humble standpoint of his heart, of John the Baptist's heart. Now, I don't want you to miss this theology. It is about the theology. It is clear, it is concise, it is rich, and it is accurate. This is rich theology. This is good theology. But it's delivered to us, it's delivered to us in, on a tray of humility. And John the Baptist is the waiter. That's what I want you to see. Rich, deep theology, and on a tray of humility. And John the Baptist is just the waiter. He is bringing to us how to think through this issue. In fact, it's really just a a proper view of self. In fact, what we see is John the Baptist is putting man in his place, in his rightful place. And John... John, the, the author John, is including this because... You need to get this theology. This theology is pointing to Christ and encouraging you to believe. You see how it fits in with the bigger picture of John. This is John's final testimony before he is ushered off into prison. Now here's what I want you to see. Here's the big picture. Here's the point. When we have a proper perspective of God and ourselves, when we have a proper perspective of God and ourselves, it demonstrates, or it comes, it starts in the heart and it's demonstrated in our life, genuine humility and it keeps pride at bay, keeps pride in check. Those two things. Okay, and here's the question I want us to just quickly go through today, is what is the proper perspective of your life? I want you to evaluate. Your own heart. How would I have responded? When I put my life up against John the Baptist's life and his thinking, how would I have responded? Somebody crouching in on my ministry, taking my people, how would I have responded? Would I have responded in pride or arrogance or humility? Now, from verses 31 to 35, 36, John gives us five facts, five distinct things about Christ that help put us in our place and to keep pride at bay and keep us humble. 
And I want you to see these things. Number one, we'll move through these quickly. You must have a firm understanding of your origin. You must have a firm understanding of your origin. And you need to see this. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Christ. Christ came down because he was in heaven. His origin is in heaven and he is above all. Now look at this. He who is from, he is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. You see the contrast? Heaven and earth. Christ came from heaven. We did not. Our origin is here. And so you see a contrast. The word earth there is soil, just the ground, the land here on this globe. And Christ, He is in excess is literally what it means. He is superior. He is marked out. He is above all. So there's a contrast between John and his ministry. And John says, I am not going to compete with his preaching. I can't compete. I speak of the earth. Now listen, that puts man in his place, doesn't it? We are here on earth. Now it's not a negative thing. It's just uh, human limitations, basically, is what he's talking about. And we're human uh, and we're limited to this earth. But Christ is not. He is above all. You see the theology there? But it puts man in its place. We are just creatures. We are created by our Creator. And we have our limitations. Now, sometimes though, and that does not keep us from competing with God. John says, I'm not going to compete with Him. But sometimes we compete with God. Sometimes, and we do it in two ways. Sometimes we bring God down to our level. And, and we just make him our buddy, make him our friend. And we bring him down and we just lose any kind of respect for him. And he becomes so casual and uh, that, that he is no longer God to be respected. He's just a friend. He's a good man. And we compete with God on that level. And, and folks, that is competing with God. John said there's a clear distinction. Christ is up there. We are not. We are down here. Another way that we compete with God is just our own pride. And this is the most common way. We ascend to God's level. That's what pride is. We want to be in charge. We are in control. Now remember the verse that I referred to last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me just remind you of this. We are destroying speculation. Remember that verse? We're destroying speculation and every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. That is competition with God. How do we compete with God? Well, the first thing is in the realm of ideas, we compete with God. We compete with God's Word. And we go into speculations. And we make it say things that it does not say. We come up with our own lofty ideas and it raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Ministries, false ministries, that's how they start. With a nugget of truth, maybe from God's Word, but just a little bit different slant. Really creative. And boy, before long you got another, you got a, a cult. Before long you, you got people following a man. Because he moved into the realm of speculation as opposed to just sticking with Scripture what Scripture says. And he gets into high and lofty thoughts about man. And he lifts man up. John says, uh, John says, I can't compete with that. God has an unfair advantage. Christ is God and I am not. He has an unfair advantage. We compete with God also with our time. 
We compete with God with our time. God says, study to show yourself approved. He says, read scripture. He says, memorize scripture. He says, go to church. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you know what? Oh, I'd rather use that time for my own self. And we compete with God in that way. We compete with God with our resources. God says to give to meet the needs of others, and to give to the local church. Oh, no, I'm going to, I'd rather buy something else for myself. And in that way, we compete with God. We compete with God with our roles. Now, not dinner roles. That sounds pretty good about now. But we compete with God with our, our um, roles and responsibilities. God says, I want you in this position. I want you to lead your family in your home. And we say, no, I don't want that responsibility. And we, we let it easily go to someone else. Or we want you in a subservient role here. And, and you say, no, I want to be in control. And we're competing with God, with what God wants us to do in our roles. Even in our abilities, we selfishly hide our abilities. And we, we do what we want with our own abilities. And God says, you better be serving others. You better be serving the church with your abilities. And we compete with God. We don't have that humble theology in our minds that says, I will not compete with God because He is up there and we're not. We're limited. Number two, we must come to grips. We must come to grips with the limitations of our knowledge. Look at verse 32. What he has seen, this is Christ, what Christ has seen and heard. He's from above, remember that. He's from above. And what he's seen and heard, of that he testifies. Man, he's got a direct connection with the Father. And he comes down here and he tells us. He tells us these spiritual things. He knows. He is the source. And John says, I'm not the source. He says, I I can't compete with that. He has direct communication with God, and I don't. He speaks of that which he's seen and heard, and I, I don't have that. And that's exactly what we see from Christ's ministry. And he said, I only say what my Father tells me to say. I only do what my Father tells me to do. We'll see that later on in John. Look what happens, though. It says, even at that, John says, they, they don't receive his testimony. The world is blind. They're not receiving the testimony. They're not going directly to the source. You know, even in, our, even in the, uh, the physical world, we go to the source. We like to investigate and, and dig these things out to come up with truth our own selves. We go directly to the source. And... Uh, And we get our knowledge and our truth from there. And John says, I can't compete with, with Christ coming down. And, and he's seen heaven. He knows what spiritual things are like. And I, I don't. Listen, we don't have direct revelation from God. We don't have that. John didn't have that. He says, I, I don't have that. I can't compete with that. But we do have the Holy Spirit. What is our source today? Our source is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit came down. Christ said, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And He's going to bring to remembrance all of these things. And these things are written down for our learning. And the Holy Spirit has written His Word, has written this Word. And you cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Word. The two come together. You you study the Word. The Word has to be... Uh, illuminated in our hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit. 
It comes together. You, you can't separate those two things. This is His Word. This is what He wants man to understand. And He has st- uh, stated it. It's clearly stated. And it's for everyone. If we want a glimpse of heaven, if we want to understand spiritual things, our connection to that is this Word right here. It's not going to be some spiritual experience with this Holy Spirit. It is going to be through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has spoken, and this is it. That's it. And you know what? We are limited. It takes study. It takes digging. It takes learning, sometimes even learning a a different language. And it's hard. It's hard work. But you know what? The Word of God is worth it. It is not boring. It is so alive because it is the Holy Spirit's Word. And John says, I cannot compete with that. In ministry, you have to speak and you have to say something. And you're going to say either uh, things from the earth or you're going to say things directly from heaven. He says, I cannot compete with that. My knowledge is, is not so vast. My knowledge is limited. Let me give you another one. You must acknowledge your dependence upon God. Look at 33. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this He's given His approval to this. Those who, who accept His testimony, those who believe in Christ Jesus, are, are doing what? They're saying, God is true. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're believing in God. You're saying that God is right. Your dependence is upon God. And John is saying, you know what? I can't say that. I can't say, don't depend upon me, John says. You're depending upon Christ and you're depending upon God. And God says, this is true. This is, this is right. John says, don't depend upon me. Uh, listen, whether we trust in God or not, we're still dependent upon God for every breath. And folks, we need to get a grip on that. We need to understand that. We need to grasp that in our minds, that we are in total dependence upon God. So much in our pride we think that we are in control, but... We're not. The older I get, the more dependent upon the Lord I see that I am. And what does that cause? How should we apply that idea? Listen, that should drive us to our knees. We should pray more then. As a result of our dependence, we just acknowledge that dependence. Lord, I can't do this. You have to do this for me. I can't continue on with this job. Lord, you have to help me. And we pray our way through our day. Our focus has to be upon God. So John is saying, I, I know that I cannot be dependent upon, but I know God can be dependent upon. That's a humble statement. That's a humble attitude, isn't it? Let me give you two more here quickly. You must be aware of your sinfulness. John was aware of his sinfulness. Look at verse 34. <clears throat> For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. That's Christ. He's coming down from God to earth and he speaks the word of God. That's ministry, right? We understand that. He's speaking of ministry. For he gives the Spirit without measure. That's God giving the Spirit to Christ without limitations. This guy, how can I compete with him? And he has no limitations. What limits my ministry? Well, John the Baptist, he, boy, he, he was filled with the Spirit. What was his limitation? His own sinfulness. 
And there was nobody more aware of that than John the Baptist himself. I mean, from, from before he was born, he, he leaped in his mother's womb because he heard Mary's voice and, and he was filled with the Spirit. He had, a, he had the Spirit, but when he looked at Christ and that perfect Lamb of God, he, he knew he was limited, even the Spirit. Now, what limits the Spirit is not our humanity. It's our sinfulness. It's the desire to do our own thing. It's our own pride. That's what limits us in our plea. Then as far as applying this, our plea has to be, Lord, Lord, deal with my sin. Work in my heart. Get rid of this sin that causes me to not be filled with the Spirit as I should be. Not be controlled by the Spirit as I should be. And John knew his own heart that he was, he could not compete with a, a sinless Savior. He couldn't do that. Do you see what he's doing? He's exalting Christ and at the same time he's putting himself right where he belongs. Very humble response. And let me give you the last one and we'll close. We must have, you must have, or re- must remember your role. You must remember your place. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. The Father loves the Son. In fact, verse 36, whoever believes in Him, in the Son has eternal life. And He calls Him the Son again in verse 36. He's the Son of God. He's the one that's exalted. He is the only unique Son. He is the only begotten of the Father. It's Christ We don't have that position and we are children, but we will never take the place of Christ and the Father. We can't do that. And John John just embraced that subordinate role. He, He knew his place. He knew he could not compete with this Savior. And he just continued to point to the Savior to the very end. And that's exactly what we see. He who believes in Him... In the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son does not see life, and the wrath of God still is abiding upon him. He's still living under the wrath of God because he has not believed. From the very to the very end of John's ministry, he was pointing to Christ. It's about Christ and not me. He must increase and I must decrease. That was his attitude. And he has theology to 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 point it out. And he, and he says, this needs to be your mindset, disciples. And I'm telling you today, this needs to be our mindset. We are not God. We have to know our limitations. We, we play a role. We have a certain role and responsibilities that God wants us to fulfill. And sometimes our own pride gets in the way. God gifts us with certain gifts. And we use those gifts for our own ends And God says, look, I gave you those gifts for two reasons. Number one, for the expansion of the church. And number two, for the the growth of the church. Internally, I gave you those gifts so that you will, will minister to other people. You have a ministry. God has given you a ministry. And the thing that's going to get in that, in the way of that ministry is your own pride. If you continue, if we continue to compete with God with that ministry, We're going to be in trouble. We're not going to minister. All the attention is going to be where? Right here. 
Are we going to be like uh, uh, the Pharisees or like John the Baptist? Now, can you imagine John the Baptist? No, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to build my ministry. You could do the same thing. You could say that same thing. And pride just gets in the way and pride causes us to bring attention to ourselves as opposed to Christ. And every ministry has to revolve around Christ, not ourselves. Not ourselves. And John knew that he was limited. He was limited in his, ori- uh, his origin. He was stuck on this earth. He was limited in his knowledge, his dependence upon the Lord. He was limited in his sinfulness and in his role. The role of his creation. He knew his place. Now, what do you see here? This is a picture of brokenness. That's what it is. This is a picture of a broken man. He knows his place before God. That's where humility has to start. We have to be humble before God before we'll ever be humble with our mankind, with others. He knew his place. When we, uh, when we have a proper perspective of God and ourselves, it, it, it demonstrates genuine humility and it keeps our pride in check. Now let me ask you, how would you have responded? How would you have responded to this, Christ encroaching into your ministry? And maybe you are responding to that now. That you want to get the attention. I want to pe- I want to see people, or I want people to see my cleverness, or how eloquent I am, or how gifted I am, or how fun I am, and what a great personality I have. And and what we're doing is we're getting in the way of Christ and Christ's ministry. Does Christ have have to compete with your own pride? You're doing your will as opposed to doing His will? Do you know your place before God? It's about Christ, isn't it? It's about Christ. When we're out there in the workplace, don't forget, God has given you a ministry. He's given me a ministry. And and if we are just about ourselves, we're bringing attention to ourselves, and we're not pointing to God, then it's just about ourselves, and God can't minister. He's not going to use that kind of vessel. Now, with these statements, John the Baptist puts mankind in his place. It's the proper perspective. We're limited. We can't, we can't do these things. These are spiritual matters. We're limited in what we can do. We, we're limited in our resource. We have to go right to the resource in which is the Word of God. We're limited in our speaking ability. We're limited in our research, what we can uh, dig out from the Word of God. We're limited in so many ways. Listen, we have to let Christ work in people's hearts. It's not about us. It's about Christ. John understood that he was not able to produce salvation in anyone's life. His ministry was limited. He continued to point to Christ to the very end, and he gave a clear presentation of, of those who need, of all of us, who need to believe in Christ, in Christ alone. And he has the proper perspective. And what do you need to say today? When you go out in the workplace, you need to say, He must increase and I must decrease. I've got to get self out of the way 
It's not about my personality and how much fun I am and the way I dress and all of these things. It's not about me. It's about Christ. We're pushing Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this Word. Lord, what an example that we see in John the Baptist. We thank You, Lord, for the reminder of our own sinfulness, Lord, and how pride just gets in the way of, of ministry. And May we never think those, this way, but have the, the mindset that was in John the Baptist, a, a proper theology of putting us in our place. Help us to remember these things, especially when we go out and minister to a world and we're not competing with You. We just allow You to minister through us. And we thank you for these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.